Want to take a quick second to thank Universal Yums for sponsoring the channel once again. As you all know, Universal Yums is a box subscription service, and when you sign up, they send you awesome treats from all around the world. They recently sent me one from Colombia, and it had these absolutely delicious passion fruit uh, bubble pops, kind of like a blow pop here in the U.S. They were absolutely delicious, along with a whole bunch of other stuff in the box. Um, here's uh, some footage from a different box as well. As you can see, they always pack these things full of snacks. If it sounds like something you're interested in, something you want to try with your kids, with your family, or for yourself, just head down into the description and click that link and pick you up a box. It really helps out the channel. So, that said, thanks again to Universal Yums for supporting the channel, and let's jump right into tonight's stories. Grave Consequences I graduated from high school a few years back. I still live with my parents, but I'm using this time to my advantage. They're kind enough not to charge rent, and that allows me the ability to save up almost every penny I make. The hope is that I can one day start up a small but legitimate business and move into my own apartment. You know, the American dream. You see, much to my parents' dismay, I don't have a steady job. I prefer to take a DIY approach and be my own boss. I buy and resell things online and take up odd jobs here and there to supplement my income. With the help of social media and Craigslist, I'm able to regularly mow lawns in spring and summer, rake leaves in autumn, and shovel driveways in winter. Eventually, I'll have enough to buy a decent car and reach clients outside of town and maybe even hire a few lackeys. What I'm here to share with you, however, is an incident that occurred almost two years ago. One that keeps me on edge to this day. In my first year of business, I introduced a flower delivery service. Depending on the season, I'd either pick flowers from around town or buy them from the local florist, then deliver them to a person of my client's choosing. Though it wasn't my most popular service, it did bring in some good money. You'd be surprised at how much folks are willing to pay to woo a loved one with some plants. In all that time that I biked flowers back and forth from person to person, I only ever picked up one regular. His name was Red, and he was absolutely infatuated with his girlfriend, Clara. Once a month, I would deliver a dozen roses to a local hotel where she worked. No matter how many times I went over there with the same bouquet, she always acted surprised and delighted to no end. They really did have something special and I was happy to be a part of their lives, at least in some small way. But then February rolled around. Albeit my least popular job, I do gain a little traction during the Valentine season. Along with the additional customers, Red goes all out, and has me deliver three bouquets on the week leading up to the holiday. Between these deliveries and keeping up with my usual services, February beats the hell out of me. This particular Valentine's week was a little different. I was getting close to the big day, and I hadn't received a single order from Red. 
I usually don't get attached to my clients, but I was quite fond of Red and Clara. Because of this, I decided to reach out to him. I tried calling him. No dice. Nothing but dial tones and voicemail. I thought about riding over to the hotel to ask Clara about it, but that would cut into the rest of the work I had lined up for the day. With no viable options available to me, I simply went about my day and kept a positive mindset. Something felt off, but I was sure it was nothing to worry about. The next day, Red called back. He was fine, but there was something he wanted to discuss with me. Of all the phone conversations I've ever had, this one tops the list for the most bizarre. Red hadn't ordered any flowers because he was getting ready to pop the question to Clara. He wanted the lack of gifts that week to leave her confused and then catch her completely off guard on Valentine's Day by asking for her hand in marriage. I was happy for them, but that's when the conversation took an unexpected turn. Red didn't have a ring. He was wealthy and could afford whatever jewelry he wanted, but not just any engagement ring would suffice. He wanted his mother's ring, the one his father proposed with. It was the only one he felt was fitting, the only one worthy enough to be wrapped around her finger. There was just one problem. His mother was buried with it. And then came the weird part. Red offered me $10,000 in cash to dig up his mother's grave and retrieve the ring from her dead finger. He said that he would do it himself, but he didn't have the nerve. He couldn't bring himself to defile her gravesite like that. He wasn't exactly comfortable with me doing it either, but he truly felt this was the only way he could propose to his one true love. I pleaded with the guy. I really did. I told him to go to Jared's. I mean, women love rings from Jared's. Seriously. But alas, he wouldn't budge on the matter. And whether it was the allure of money that I could use to expand my business or the desire to help out a desperate friend in need, I grudgingly accepted the job. I'm not going to make any excuses here. I know you think I'm crazy for doing it, and yes, I most certainly was. I know this now. Hell, I knew it then too, but have you ever looked back on something you did in your past and wondered what the hell was I thinking? Well, this is one of those moments for me. And try as one might, you can't go back and change the stupid shit you've done. This is something I'll just have to live with. Under the light of a full moon, I blinked over to the cemetery. As conspicuous as the shovel protruding from my backpack looked, I managed to make it the whole way there without any trouble. After passing the black entrance gates, I laid my bike down and set out on foot. The graveyard was consumed by a late winter chill and an uneasy silence. My footsteps cut through the crisp night air, creating echoes that danced from headstone to headstone. I turned back from time to time and told myself it was to check for passing cars, but really, I was afraid of ghosts lurking in the shadows. I never really believed in them, but being surrounded by hundreds of buried corpses in the middle of the night can do a number on your psyche. Growing more nervous with each passing moment, I trotted to the back of the cemetery in haste. My hurried pace was soon impeded by a fresh pile of white marble. Upon was etched the name Abigail Grovewood in a stunningly elegant font. This was it. 
This was Red's mother, right where he said she'd be. It was time to get down to business. In the hopes of saving at least a little bit of face, I will say that in this moment, what I was doing did feel deeply wrong on a moral level. I was about to vandalize and rob the grave of a deceased stranger. She didn't deserve this, and I very well knew it. How would I live with myself knowing that I disturbed her peaceful slumber? My question had a simple answer. With $10,000 in my pocket, that's how. I'd come too far to turn back, and I foolishly felt that this was the best way to further my financial endeavors. May God have mercy on my soul. The whole process took about six and a half hours, a little less time than I expected. I suppose shoveling driveways every year prepared me for this pivotal yet strange moment in my life. After all was said and done, I looked at the coffin below and panted profusely. Despite being utterly exhausted, I had no time to waste. Daylight was on its way, and I had to get the hell out of Dodge before it shrouded the land of the dead. With how narrow the hole was, there was no way I could open up the coffin by conventional means. Adding insult to injury for poor Abigail, I had to use my shovel to break through the confines of her deathbed. Eventually, I desecrated the entire cover, allowing me ample room to retrieve the ring no matter which hand it was on. Victory was within reach. Before taking my prize, I looked at the woman I was about to steal from. The sight of her corpse was a grotesque one. She'd only been buried about a year, so her flesh was not fully decayed yet. It sat on her skin like battered on an undercooked drumstick. To top it off, maggots crawled around every inch of her surface. It was sickening. Just as I was about to reach past the flesh-eating bugs and grab Abigail's hand, something crazy happened. It was dark, that's for sure, but I swear I saw her begin to sit up in her grave. The movement was subtle, but it was enough for me to take notice. I was startled, but I took a few seconds for the gravity of the situation to sink in. When it did, I became so spooked that I hightailed it out of there without a second thought. And that is the gist of my late night adventure. Pretty lame, right? I went through all of that grief just to chicken out at the last minute. It's pathetic, I know, but you weren't there to experience it. As I climbed out of the hole, I thought I felt something brush against my ankle, perhaps Abigail's brittle hands attempting to pull me to my death. As I ran to my bike, I pictured her crawling up from her earthy tomb and chasing me down the road until I was inevitably captured. This was the single most frightening night of my life. I was scared shitless and didn't give a flying fuck about Red or the other $10,000. I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Of course, upon arriving home, logic set in and I realized the error of my ways. It was entirely possible that Abigail was still as stone, and I had only thought I'd saw her move. What I felt against my ankle was more than likely maggots crawling up my pant leg. I had let the eerie atmosphere of the cemetery get the better of me, and was now out ten grand and a good friend. Just my goddamn luck. I almost went back, but the sun was beginning to rise. I couldn't risk being spotted and going to jail, though that was a likely outcome regardless. Instead, I wallowed in self-pity and ignored Red's calls for a couple of days. Soon enough, my failed grave robbery was all over the news. But here's the thing. 
When the police discovered my handiwork, something was profoundly amiss. Abigail's casket was empty. The Woman in the Front Yard I woke up from a dream tonight. The light bleeding into the room around the corners of my blinds was weak and gray, and for a moment I was confused as to whether it was becoming day or night outside. The clock above my TV said it was 7 o'clock, but that wasn't really helpful. Sighing, I got up to look out at my front yard for some clue or a sign. The vinyl blind slipped out of my hand as I tugged it down, snapping up to the top of the window with an angry rolling flutter. Stupid fucking piece of... There was a woman out in my front yard, dressed in something that reminded me of a toga or something else they may have worn in ancient Greece or Rome, or kind of like the Statue of Liberty wore, though this woman didn't look much like the green giant. No, this woman was beautiful, tall and muscular with long golden hair and strong features that looked almost alien in their perfect asymmetry. I'd often had the same thought about runway models. They were made to look so different from people that I typically found it off-putting. But this woman? No. The strangeness of her beauty only enhanced its appeal. The grace of her movements as she paced across the yard, the solemn expression on her face as she stared resolutely forward, it all served to make her seem more real and more special. My breath caught my throat as I tried to think of what to do. Should I go out and introduce myself to her, see if she needed help? I knew I must look a mess, but if I waited to clean up, she might be... Wait, was she pulling a chain behind her? She was. A black heavy chain, as thick as her arm, trailed out behind her. I could tell by the way it drug along the ground that it was extremely heavy, but she walked on with it clenched casually in her left fist as though it weighed nothing at all. I felt the first flutter of unease stirring in my belly. Why was she out there? Who was she, and why was she dressed like that? It was then the chain scraped its way over the flagstone walk that led up to my front door. It gave me a three-foot window to see what she was dragging along without it being obscured by the tall grass. I watched the dark links glide across like dull scales of some massive snake, and then, at the end of the chain, there was a large hook of jagged, silvery metal. All flat panes and sharp edges, the glow of my porch light made it glitter as it scraped across the walk and back into the grass onto the other side. My mouth went dry as I stepped back and found my phone tangled up in the sheets. 911, what's your emergency? I, uh, um, there's a woman in my front yard. She's dressed funny. I mean, like, she's in a costume or something, like a toga. Alright, what's she doing? Um, she's just walking around out there, I guess. I, I don't know why she's out here. Does she appear to be injured or intoxicated? I don't think so. I don't know. It's getting dark, but I can still hear her pretty good. But no, she doesn't seem drunk or hurt that I can tell. Do you know who this woman is? 
What? Uh, no, of course not. Why would I call if I knew her? Why did you call, sir? Uh, well, she's like trespassing, right? And I don't know, I just... Oh shit, I, I didn't tell you. She's dragging a chain with a hook on it. What? I know this sounds weird, but she's got a big fucking metal chain, right? And she's dragging it behind her. It's like, get over here, right? I, I thought it was like a spear, I think. But when I first saw it, it freaked me out, so I called. Sir, have you been drinking or using any other controlled substances tonight? What? No, I, I just woke up. I see. So it's possible this was all part of some dream. Uh, no. Look, just a second. Yeah, okay, no, she's still out there. I'm wide awake, I'm sober, and I'm talking to you, and I fucking see her out there. She's just walking. Oh, shit. She just stopped and is looking at me. Fuck, I can hear her now. She's humming. I can I can feel through the window. What does it sound like? What is it? Fuck, how do I know, man? It sounds like humming. I... Fuck, I don't feel right. Look, get someone over here now, okay? I need help. I need help getting rid of her. Getting rid of her? Why would you want to do that? What? What the fuck did... Look, all I want is to talk to someone else. Not trying to be rude, but you're fucking weird, man, and you're shit at your job. I want a supervisor or the police or something. Hello? Hello? I looked back out the window and saw that the woman had moved over to the tree in the far corner of the yard. My mother said my great-grandfather had planted that tree over a century ago, and all these years later, even its smallest branches ran thick and stretched wide. It was one of the lowest of these that the woman secured her chain, the glimmering hook twisting in the air and sending out twinkles of light across the yard. As for the woman herself, she turned back to me, her arms lifted an invitation or offering. I felt things stirring in me. I wanted to go to her, to be with her, to do what would please her, even if it meant something terrible. That strange, melodic humming noise kept rolling through me, each wave washing away more of my resolve and my fear. Soon enough, I would just go on out, give her what she wanted, what she wanted, what... I suddenly jumped as a hissing child's voice sprang out of the phone still dangling in my hand. Yes! Give her your flesh as a token of your worship. It's the least you can do for the honor she bestows upon you. I dropped the phone, staring at it like a snake as I backed out of the room. I just needed to think for a minute. Maybe I should go outside, but that seemed wrong. So if I could just think, if the humming would stop for a minute and I could just think. The humming fell away. As silence rushed back in, I felt her eyes on me, inside me. When I turned to the closet window, I felt little surprised that she was standing near the house now, looking at me with a sad longing that broke the last of me. She was so hungry and so giving, and I should be ashamed for hesitating to give it all that I had to her. I rushed to open the front door, but she stopped me without moving or uttering a word. Not yet. First, I had to write this account. The record would act as a witness, and the witnessing was a powerful part of these things. Every person that sees will feed her a little. 
Every thought and belief will bring her back a bit of her old glory, of the times when she was known as the Spring Mother, the Lady-in-Waiting, the Lover, a thing to be loved and feared, but above all, a thing to be fed. It had been so long for her. I try not to cry as I write this last, but I feel so sorry for what she's endured. I try not to rush these words, but I'm so anxious to run to her. I know that when I do, she'll sweep me up in her soft, strong arms and gently place me on what they once called the silver cradle. She will crawl beneath and open herself wide, not letting a single drop go to waste. I know all this because she knows this, because she wants me to know what it is to come and share in the beauty of it all. And oh, it will be so beautiful. I have to stop here. I'm trembling too much. I have to go to her now. Thank you for listening to this, for helping me make my offering, my life, mean something in service to her. It's such a blessing. I don't... Such a blessing. The Elevator Code as a freelance convention planner, I stay at many hotels over the course of a year. I spend about a week per trip in an all-expenses-paid suite of my choosing, doing nothing but studying the location and interviewing the staff on hand to get a feel for the hotel and its traffic. Then I spend another week organizing the event and ensuring my client is satisfied with my plans. There's a little bit more to it, but that's the overall gist of the job. If you can get over the constant jet lag, it's not a bad gig. In all my years of planning conventions, I must have stayed at over a hundred different hotels. With similar floor plans, architecture, and staff training, they all blend together in my mind, but one in particular will always stay with me. The Grovewood Inn, located just on the outskirts of Cape Cod. That one kept me up for many nights, even after I left. At first, my trip to the Grovewood Inn seemed mostly forgettable. The convention I was planning was a glorified book club meeting for a group of older women and some local authors. The service, food, and layout of the hotel were average and unexciting. The only thing I liked about the place was Clara, the desk clerk. I'd even had her out on a date had she not been married. I had planned boring conventions and been to many subpar hotels, but this trip was remarkably mind-numbing. I couldn't wait to be done with it. One night at the end, after a long day of mundane event planning, I flipped on the TV, poured a glass of wine, and climbed into bed. I grabbed the program guide from my bedside table and looked it over, hoping to find the porn networks. As I glanced through the channel listing, something at the bottom of the page caught my eye. Written crudely in permanent marker was the following. Elevator code. 03-08-06-B1-04. 0207B20501. This was odd. I knew of hotels that had pin pads on their elevators, usually to prevent children from using them, but the Grovewood Inn was not one of them. Plus, most pin pad elevators only required a four digit code. Intrigued, I decided to call up to the front desk to find out more. I was sure the code would turn out to be something trivial and uninteresting but it was, at the very least, an excuse to talk to Clary again. Though unreciprocated, I enjoyed flirting with her, if for no other reason than to hear her infectious laughter. 
A sip of wine and a few failed pickup lines later, I was back at square one. Claire didn't know anything about it, claiming there were no devices in the entire building that would require a code like that, much less one of the elevators. She did, however, point out that the numbers on the code aligned with every floor of the hotel, 1 through 8 plus the two basement levels. We both found this odd, but ultimately couldn't make sense of it. After getting off the phone with Clara, my curiosity got the best of me. I left my room, walked over to the elevator, and stepped inside. I then pressed the buttons in the order they were written on my channel guide, just to see if anything would happen. Much to my disappointment, the elevator did nothing but take me to every floor of the hotel before finally stopping at the lobby. The front desk was in eyeshot of the elevator, so I quickly hit the button for my floor, not wanting to explain to Clara what I was up to. Though I didn't have a shot with her, it still would have been embarrassing to tell her I was spending my night playing around in the elevator. Luckily, I was able to escape unseen. Upon stepping foot back onto my floor, I noticed the member of the cleanup crew walking down the hall. Then it hit me. The staff never used the patron elevators. They had their own service elevator to get from floor to floor without impeding the travel of guests. It may sound ridiculous, but I needed to know if the code worked in that elevator, if for not no other reason than to placate my undying curiosity. I inconspicuously made my way down the hall, heading to the service elevator. Once there, the familiar sting of disappointment set in. A staff card was required to gain access, no doubt to keep guests from using it. Feeling defeated and realizing how crazy I was letting boredom make me, I walked back to my room. After a few more glasses of wine, I drifted off and entered a long, peaceful, alcohol-induced slumber. I woke many hours later to sunlight flooding my room and the familiar sound of a vacuum next door. Cleanup is always in full force early morning at the hotels. When the initial grogginess of waking up wore off, something came to mind. Something that caused me to jump to my feet and immediately exit my room. There in the middle of the hall was the cleaning cart, and there was no staff in sight. Hanging from a lanyard was the maid's staff card, ripe for the taking. This was it. This was my chance. Maybe it was the slight hangover I had, or perhaps it truly was the monotony of planning a less than exciting convention, but I grabbed that card and ran to the service elevator like it was the last chance I had at having some adventure during my trip. Something about that code was calling to me. It was a mystery I desperately felt the need to solve. Upon swiping the maid's card and entering the elevator, I quickly punched in the code and waited. At first, nothing happened. The elevator didn't move, but the buttons all remained illuminated. I thought that maybe I had somehow busted the thing, but the preceding moments proved this theory wrong. Without warning, the elevator raced up to the heights of the hotel, ascending much faster than normal. The digital readout above counted the floors up to eight, and then kept going until it reached twelve. This was bizarre, as the Grovewood Inn only had eight floors, and there was no discernible reason the elevator should have been able to reach that height. By all accounts, I would have been in the sky at that point. After a few moments, the elevator door opened, revealing behind it a grand ballroom, the likes of which I've never seen before in any of the hotels I'd been to. Victorian-era chandeliers hung from the ceiling, beautiful silk banners danced from wall to wall, and hundreds of people dressed in old-fashioned attire and elegant facewear, waltzed as a large band played a catchy tune. 
my jaw was on the floor. It's hard to explain, but a romantic fog filled the air. I watched as masked patrons danced in unison and partook in lavish festivities, completely oblivious to my presence. For a moment or two, I completely forgot about the hotel below, awestruck by the scene before me. Something about it was absolutely intoxicating. Just as I was about to step out of the elevator, the music stopped. All at once, the ballroom guests turned around to face me and held their gaze with mine, almost as if peering into my very soul. It became quickly apparent that I was not welcome there, an uninvited and unwanted visitor in a room I was never supposed to reach. It was clear to me that it was time to leave. I tried pressing the button for the lobby, but it wouldn't light up. I tried floors two, three, and four. No dice. The elevator was stagnant, and I was trapped. I looked back over to the crowd, and to my horror, they had begun walking into my direction. Their march was slow, but without a working elevator, I had no means of escape. I was at the mercy of the ballroom and its occupants now, no matter what that fate entailed. With little in the way of options, I attempted to converse with the group. Who are you? What do you want with me? My query was met with little reaction. The only response I received was the continued sound of footsteps on the ballroom floor. Frightened of what was to come next, I backed up as far as the elevator walls would allow, a mouse cornered in a bird's cage. Just as the vultures closed the gap between us, an explosion of fire emerged from the background, overcoming the guest and engulfing the entire room in flames. I began to cough uncontrollably from the toxic smoke that loomed above. Beads of sweat the size of pearls dripped down my cheeks to top it off. The guests were still there, standing still at the foot of the elevator, somehow unfazed by the fiery heat around them. In between coughs, I managed to offer them one last question, though I knew it would probably go unanswered. What do you want? A woman from the front of the crowd stepped forward. She wore a fox mask and a slight grin, though her lips would soon spread apart to speak. We want to be saved. At this moment, the flames took flight, rising to the highest heights of the ballroom. Molten skin dripped from the woman's frame like candle wax as her features morphed into a gruesome arrangement of congealed flesh and bubbling blisters. Won't you save us? In a grotesque slur of unnatural movement, the woman stumbled into my direction, arms outstretched. I stood still in terror as her burnt fingers made their way to my neck. Just as she was about to make contact, the door shut behind her and the lights went out. The bulb in the elevator, the fire in the ballroom. It was all gone. The energy around me had dissipated abruptly, leaving nothing but pitch blackness in its place. Somehow, I was alone. A few moments of confusion passed, followed by a loud roar from the elevator shaft below. All at once, everything sprung back to life, save for my fox-masked assailant. As the elevator dropped, I watched the digital readout count backward from twelve. Eventually, I was back in familiar territory, safe and sound on the ground floor. Before the doors could fully open, I made a mad dash for the front desk. Clara! Hey, what's got you so frazzled? And what were you doing in the service elevator? I told her what I'd seen, she'd think I was crazy. Instead, I composed myself and asked for some information. Did this hotel ever have a 12th floor? Clara looked very surprised by my question. 
Yes, it did. The Grovewood Inn was originally almost twice this height, but a lot of it burned up in a bad fire, so it had to be reconstructed. The top floor was a ballroom, but that was a very long time ago. She pointed at a framed picture on the wall behind her, dated 1913. What do you ask? No reason, just curious, that's all. I promptly made my way back to my room and reflected on everything. I wondered if I'd seen the picture without realizing it and dreamed up my elevator escapade. and discarded this thought rather quickly, sure that I was wide awake when it happened. I thought it might have been something in the wine, but that was equally unlikely. There was no logical explanation for what occurred. And that's about it. I never found out exactly what happened that day in the hotel. I mustered up enough courage to try the code again, but it didn't work. It seems like I was allowed a one-time glimpse into the past to look at what was before and what might still be today had the hotel not partially been destroyed. I only wish I could have taken part in the festivities before things went sour. Perhaps I could have somehow prevented the fire and saved the patrons just like the fox-masked woman wanted. All I can do now is look back on that day completely bewildered as I plan my next convention. Hey everyone, I just want to give a quick thank you to everyone who took some time out of their day to listen to these stories. These three were really, really scary, honestly, really interesting, especially that first one. It gave me very creepypasta-esque vibes from way back when those were huge. But either way, I hope you all enjoyed these three stories tonight. If you want to support the channel and get videos a day in advance, head down and click the little join button under the video or go into the description and become a patron of the channel. If you want to support and get yourself something physical, we have awesome merch in the merch store, Teespring. The link is also down below. And of course, thanks again to Universal Yums for sponsoring this video. If you want to get a box that also supports the channel, again, link right at the top of the description. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful night, and as always, stay safe out there.